Bassoon Quartet Podcast. My name is Brian Jack, and I play the bassoon. My name is Ethan Turner, and I too play the bassoon. This is an amazing coincidence, but I also happen to play bassoon. My name is Kent Hurd. By complete contrast, I'm a bassoonist. My name is Michael Christoph. And together, we are <laughs> the Bold Bassoon, bassoon Quartet. <laughs> nice little theme song. Oh, that's actually <laughs> that's that's my music that they use on Kevin's podcast. So, uh, we wanted to do today's podcast as an opportunity to verbally say thank you to the many supporters that we've found for this project that we've been working on. This project has been going on for more than two years. Uh, it started in early 2012, and it's currently middle of September 2014. And we have we've accomplished a lot. Uh, we've commissioned new works, we've recorded a CD, and we just performed these new pieces for the first time last week, a week ago tonight. Yeah. And it was, it was a stellar turnout. We had more people than we knew what to do with. Yeah, how, how many people do you think we had there? Uh, I think it was more than 100. How many people is that room designed to hold? It's not that much, is it? Um, that, that, that room was overcrowded like the lifeboats on the Titanic. Oh! Oh, snap. <laughs> Too soon. Oh, yeah. Too soon. <laughs> yeah, the venue was the Boulder Piano Gallery. It's really, it's really a cool little recital hall, but it's in the back of a, a store full of pianos, so definitely an interesting place to play, but... They came. They came. <laughs> and they stayed. They watched. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. true. Not many people went home during the intermission, which is always a good sign. Yeah. One of my favorite moments was right before when it became clear that we didn't have enough chairs set up uh, and I had to get everybody to kind of scrunch in and get closer and watching what at that time was probably 70 or 80 people all at the same time pick up their little folding chairs and push forward and get in each other's laps to make room for 15 or 20 more folding chairs. That was, that was amusing. And then a whole bunch of people grabbed some piano benches from the piano gallery right. part and uh, created another couple of rows. One of my favorite parts of the show was when we said, how many of you play the bassoon? And what, like more than a dozen people raised their hand? Oh, oh yeah, more than I probably expected. a third of the audience. <laughs> <laughs> so looking back at the timeline, you guys know when this whole project of ours started? Do you remember the meeting? I remember being in one of these restaurants. Yeah, I, re I remember the pitch of, I have, I have an interesting project, it'll take three years to complete. <laughs> if we start working right away, we'll if, do it in yeah, three years. Right. Maybe. <laughs> I still got the, uh, the piece of paper at home of all the notes that I wrote down and the whole idea. I think it all stemmed with uh, one night I was walking around with my wife and I said something like, I wish we had, you know, I wish Paul Hansen wrote some music for Bassoon Quartet. Because he certainly has a lot of music and it's all extremely creative and everything. But I wish there was something for Bassoon Quartet. And as soon as I said it out loud, I realized, oh wait, I know him. <laughs> I could ask him. We could commission him. And we could make something happen. And How do you know him? I got to know him because uh, he was invited to Ithaca College 
to do a, a you know double read improv masterclass, and that was fun, and that lasted for what, an hour or something, and then my teacher there, Dr. Goodhue, decided uh, to bring him in as her replacement when she goes on sabbatical. So he was my teacher for an entire semester in, I think, the spring of 2004. And I had a blast working with him and uh, seeing what he can do in person is just overwhelming. And working with him that way for a whole semester is super impressive. So uh, we'll talk about Paul and his music and all that kind of stuff more in a future episode of the Boulder Bassoon Quartet podcast. Today we want to just focus on the uh, on an overview of the project. So we all got together in spring of 2012 and talked about what we could do. Did you guys, do you remember if, if it felt possible or plausible at the time? It felt plausible to me and it felt like a lot of work, which it turned out to be. Yeah, I was a skeptic at first. The Tokyo part, for the, for the most part. I could see us making a CD, though. That And that part, that part turned out to be a lot harder than I expected, actually. Hmm. I was thinking that would go a little more <laughs> smoothly. Everybody that I know of who has done a recording has had some horrible story about making their CD something didn't go right and everything wound up costing more than it was supposed to and it took a lot longer than it was supposed to. And we were doing so well up until <laughs> end of April or whenever that was. And then we all had to regroup. Yeah, basically basically what happened is we we had this these great ideas and we had these ideas for different recording studios and different professional spaces that we could play in and and things kind of kept kept falling through. And then on top of that, timelines for, for music coming out and, uh, and sheet music getting to us was uh, later than we expected too. So between those two things, that's, that's what kind of caused us to come up with these, these alternative ideas like us doing the recording ourselves, which is what ended up happening. So and we, we had a self-imposed deadline of early September to actually get the discs. And it worked. So anyway, going back to the... The origins start, started off in uh, spring of 2012, and then we commissioned Paul, and his piece was delivered uh, in December of 2013, and I remember sitting in the pit of the Colorado Ballet, and I received an email, and lo and behold, it was from Paul Hansen, and it had an attachment, and I knew, you know, I knew what that was going to be. And so instead of warming up, <laughs> I sat there and I squinted at this little tiny PDF on my phone that had all the music and I tried to decipher it. Like, oh, what's this going to be? Is this melody? What's this part over here? What was that? And I tried playing, you know, yeah, I had to zoom in a lot so I could only <laughs> see like three notes at a time. So I would play like three notes at a time and try to figure out what that was all going to sound like. And then Cowdy would tell me like, Stop smiling like a little schoolgirl, and, <laughs> and we were so interested in doing our first reading of it that you guys remember where we actually did the first reading. That's right. So after doing an entire concert up in Estes Park, after all the audience left, instead of packing up, 
we hung out on stage and we got the Paul Hansen piece out and read through the whole thing. Yep, up at the Stanley Hotel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, at higher altitude. So we had just played for like an hour and a half. And at that higher altitude, you can feel your chops much more and there's no air to breathe. And then, hey, let's keep going. Let's sight read some incredibly difficult music. <laughs> and a, a recording, a video recording of us fumbling through that exists because my dad was there. And uh, I was his ride home, so he was just hanging out and he had the video <laughs> camera. And uh, so there's this, this recording of us. And I looked at it recently and we are furiously tapping our feet, trying yeah. to stay together, <laughs> trying to figure out yeah. where we're supposed to be and how all these crazy rhythms work together. And the second movement of his piece starts with a big solo by Ethan. And <laughs> I stepped all over it because I didn't know. I, right. didn't, I thought we were supposed to be playing together. I didn't know it was a big solo. So you're playing this thing and then I come in with great, uh, you know, great picture. <laughs> yeah. And I played, it's in the key of D, I think, or G, and I played a bunch of F naturals because some of these accidentals were missing, so recording sounds quite horrendous. But the real recording now sounds great. So that was December of 2013, uh, and that's when we started working every week, pretty much. We got together again in January, and every week from then until right now, so that would be nine months. We got together and rehearsed in addition to playing gigs and playing weddings and doing whatever else, playing on Pearl Street. And we put together this brand new work. And then along the way, we also um, commissioned Dr. Narimoto. And now, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Barton Kane. Barton Kane has a humongous variety of shapes and profiles and a selection of cane, all top notch. For all of your gout shaped and profiled cane needs, visit bartoncane.com. B A R T O N Kane, C A N E.com. huge selection of shapes and brands of cane. Japanese composer who taught my wife, Kaori, and um, she's a very prestigious composer. She's an award-winning composer, and she teaches at several universities in Japan. So Kaori asked her to write her a, a piece for solo bassoon. It was a number of years ago, and Kaori used it for a recital at CU. And then she also wrote a piece for Kaori's woodwind quintet, the Antero Winds. And both of those pieces, um, did you guys hear those pieces? Did you guys hear Cowdy's solo piece? Both. 
Yeah. Them both. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What'd you think? They're very different. They're very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> they were pretty wild. They were, they were out there. <laughs> now, County Solo had a lot of the multiphonics and stuff in it, too, didn't it? Yeah, I remember that they spent a lot of time back and forth, you know, County explaining what the bassoon can do, um, how many different multiphonics you can get out of this note and that note, and how many different ways there are to finger this note and that note, and which notes are good for pitch bending and all that kind of stuff. And then the end product, for in both cases, the solo piece and the woodwind quintet, is about as modern and weird and abstract as music can get. So I, I think, uh, well, we could talk about her compositional style in a future episode, but uh, I was expecting when we were to get her piece, something very weird and modern and out there. What do you guys think of the, the end product, the piece that we got? The Sound of New York is what it's called. I mean, it's very picturesque. If, if you know the, the titles of the movements, uh, it makes a, a world of difference yeah. in understanding the structure. It, the piece has grown on me a great deal over time. Part of it is the process of um, learning it, putting it together, figuring out how it works, uh, and coming up with strategies of how to sell it to an audience. Um, part of it, I think, also is getting some audience reaction from it. When we played it, uh, a couple of movements as like a preview at the Dazzle Jazz Club in Denver, the reaction that we got to the first 15 measures of movement one uh, is one of those things that actually sort of made me fall more in love with the piece than I think I would have otherwise. What, what happened? What was the reaction? Laughter. Like sheer, giddy, delighted, absolutely immersed in the experience laughter. And why were you not expecting that? Because it, from a, um, I guess from a <laughs> standpoint of tonality, it, it has a pretty fair amount of dissonance, uh, intentional dissonance, of course. Um, and it, the whole problem of modern music uh, and how it relates to society and how it relates to audiences, I wasn't sure how people would react to it. But um, some of my friends were at the at the Dazzle concert and uh, some of them said that that was absolutely their favorite piece by far. And it has to do not necessarily so much with the abstract constructional elements but with the, the visceral nature of it and how clearly it conveys um, not just ideas but experiences of living in a big city. I think that uh you know, our experience of it was, oh my God, look at all these notes. I've never right, seen yeah. so many notes in one place. <laughs> right. How am I going to play all these notes? Yeah. Uh, and then putting it together. It's a very rhythmically uh, strict piece. And it's the kind of thing where there's not really a, a sense of pulse throughout a lot of it. And you have to figure out exactly how to put the thing together. And that's a big challenge with new music, especially when you're under kind of a, a time crunch. Right. So for us, it was a lot of hard work. And then when it was all put together, we could kind of take a step backwards right. and say, oh, hey, this is a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, listening to the piece in its entirety and in its, in its completion as a final product 
is such a different experience than inventing <laughs> how to put it together and what it's supposed to sound like. So this is a perfect segue. As a treat for all of you listeners, since this is our first podcast, uh, we are going to now play uh, this movement. This is called Rushing Through the Sudden Rain, and it is from the suite The Sound of New York by Dr. Rika Narimoto. This is a brand new work. It has never been played before. Um, the radio is not available on iTunes yet. It's not for sale. The only way you could possibly have heard it is if you came to our live concert last week or uh, bought the CD at our live concert last week. So this is, again, Rushing Through the Sudden Rain by Dr. Rika Narimoto. So that was Rushing Through the Sudden Rain by Rika Narimoto. It occurred to me as we were listening to that, um, we, we did actually play that at Dazzle and at the Boulder Piano Gallery, so technically oh, yes. there are two ways, I suppose, that you would have ever heard that. Its audience just doubled. So we started this Kickstarter a couple of weeks ago, um, and, and one of the restrictions on Kickstarter is it's a short time period, so it used to be the longest you could you could do a Kickstarter was 90 days. Now they reduce it to even shorter. So 60 days is the, the longest you can do. And we opted for a 30 day Kickstarter campaign, which we're about right in the middle of. 
And it's going well. We've already reached our original goal. We've added some stretch goals. Uh, it's important to know that even if we achieved our biggest stretch goal, that's still really just a drop in the bucket for this whole project, uh, which includes traveling to Japan, which of course is a huge expense for four people, plus a manager slash tour guide. <laughs> um, is that Cowdy? That's Cowdy. Yeah. We will definitely be needing her services. Any bit of support that is pledged on Kickstarter is greatly appreciated. Um, everybody who pledges anything gets at least some sort of a little reward. And to demonstrate our rewards, uh, one of these rewards, Kent, why don't you send me a message on your fancy new iPhone 6 Plus? Oh, it's gargantuan. <laughs> is this, is this going to be what I think it is? I don't know. Let's find out. I don't remember. <laughs> Not sure how much I want our big audience to hear this. Oh yeah! So all of you folks out there getting your fancy, sexy new uh, iPhone 6 and the 6 Plus, if you want your phone to stand out <laughs> among all the other sexy new iPhone 6s, the thing to do is to pledge on a Kickstarter and you too can get a bassoon quartet ringtone like you just heard. We have dozens of them because we had more than 40 minutes of music to choose from. And there's no shortage of, of good stuff there. Other rewards on our Kickstarter project include, of course, the CD, the digital album, a t-shirt, and when you get to the higher uh, stratosphere of, of pledges, we'll come to your place and perform. And we'll also bring some food. My wife happens to be a cook, and she's pretty good at it. So if you pledge, I think at the $500 level, we'll play at your house and you'll get dessert. And she can make this mean chocolate lava cake. Mm. <laughs> and uh, what else? And then we're already scheduled to do a couple of our um, sort of intermediate uh, pledges where we'll still do, still do a performance, but it's over Skype. Two of our donors have, have pledged at that amount, so that'll be interesting to do our first... Uh, First performance streaming over, over the internet. And then the top prize is a full-fledged performance plus dinner at your place. And dinner could be lamb, it could be salmon, it will definitely be delicious. I hope somebody <laughs> pledges that just so that I can have that dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that you've learned something, I hope that you think our project is remotely interesting. Uh, we want to know what you want to know about the Boulder Bassoon Quartet and playing music in general. Let us know. We're very easy to get a hold of. Send us an email at boulderbassoons at gmail.com or tweet to us at boulderbassoon4 or find us on Facebook. Or if you know us, give us a call. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all. <laughs> all right, folks, that wraps up Boulder Bassoon Quartet podcast number one. Thank you.